0: I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. and we're recording this uh, May second. May second, 2nd. but it probably won't come out until next Wednesday or Thursday, which will be after the AMA. And you said AMA recently, and I thought you meant American Music Awards. Right. I know.
1: I I realized as I said it. I'm like, I wonder if Chris would recognize that uh, uh, Academy of Magical Arts. Yeah, the award shows this weekend. Uh, Saturday, I think. Saturday or Sunday. Saturday, I believe. And uh, yeah, so I don't know who won any of these awards, and will not. Uh, Until the next time you hear this podcast, yeah. So if you're hoping for those hot, that hot goss, uh, the weekend who got
0: drunk at the ceremony, right? Where is this held?
1: Usually, it's held at a big theater in L.A. Often the uh, Orpheum, most popular, Uh um, is where they usually do it. They've also done it at the Saban in Beverly Hills. This year, they're trying something new because I think sometimes maybe the tickets have not totally the ticket sales have not totally been what they were hoping for for these big theaters. Right. So what they're doing is, I believe they're doing it in the parking lot and they're setting up a bunch of, like, big tables. <laughs> just, I, just, I mean... Yeah. like that Initially part.
0: just sounds much worse. <laughs> yeah,
1: it does. It does. But they're like, they're setting up a big thing. On their 55th anniversary, they had a big ceremony down there that Eric Garcetti was at and he uh-huh. did this little, like... um. He gave an award to Milt Larson or named something like Milt Larson Day in L.A. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what. So I know they've done it before, and people say that, that was a pretty classy affair when they did it last time. I'm sure it'll be very I mean, nice. if they set up
0: a tent and a nice stage and whatever. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then the, after that, the reception will be in the castle, which you need a you need to have bought a ticket to the show to go to. And then the, the, the award show, uh, show usually has some really um, special performers in it. And now these performers will be sort of dispersed through the showrooms of the castle that night instead mm. of like a big awards show with performances. Okay. Um, I Yeah, it's, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I think I'm more of a fan of the, the the traditional like go to a theater, there's a big show. I mean, the only tr- truthfully, I've only been to the award show twice. Once was when I was getting an award and once when um, there was just some really cool performers I wanted to go see. Right. So I didn't really care too much about the, the change of venue. But that's just, that's just me. Uh, what was the award? I got the Junior Achievement Award when I graduated hey. the junior program, which is given every year to a junior.
0: And there's like best junior, basically?
1: Uh, pretty much. But instead of voted on, it's given out by the heads of the junior program. Oh, cool. So um, in
0: 2014, uh, I won that. I um. was just listening to um, an interview with Franco Pascali. Okay. Where were you listening to that? Uh, just on another podcast. <laughs> on Magical Thinking. Okay. Um, and... The, uh the, I, I wonder if being involved with Magic, because he's a junior, mm-hmm. I think believe he's still in, the, or at least as of this recording. So when do you leave juniors? 21? When you turn 21. So he probably just left this year. I, I'd
1: be surprised if you're still in the junior program. Well, in
0: I... 2017, when this interview was recorded, he was 19. Wow. Okay. And still doing the juniors program, even though he was, like, he was talking about, he does all this stuff with Theory 11, he does evening shows at the castle, mm-hmm. and he does brunch junior shows um and he was talking about how he uses the brunch shows to basically like workshop Mm -hmm. stuff um but he i wonder if being involved with magic as a junior is either attractive to people that are kind of what we would call old souls Mm -hmm. or matures people faster just because maybe you're hanging around a lot of old dudes but he's very in his interview i was like he had the maturity of like a 45-year-old. Right, he's a very mature like, guy. His thoughts about his performance and his style, and even his where he is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you have a similar, like... It was interesting. I was like, maybe maybe it's just the two of you guys are like that. Right. Because you can probably think of a bunch of juniors that are immature and, and yeah. dumb. Um I, I definitely can. But it struck me. like It was, it was interesting. Um, and by the way, you have nothing to worry about because it seems like that podcast is sort of on hiatus it's like not coming out very often oh yeah
1: i I, not when i asked about it i wasn't even doing the bit i was just curious what other magic podcast there is
0: yeah well i've heard good things about magical thinking and i think it's actually worth listening to and actually the derek delgadio interview now you're plugging another podcast yeah yeah yeah. uh but this this, uh, the reason i bring this up is his interview with derek delgadio is actually very interesting and better than the pete holmes one Mm -hmm. because the pete holmes one was Derek. was an outsider looking at yeah and also del having a little bit of it's interesting he definitely has some magician shame that yes he oh absolutely he's trying to exercise i mean
1: that look as much as i enjoyed that show and i do enjoy that show a lot yeah if he ever does it again which i don't think he will people should go see it but um i feel like he wrote that entire show so that he could not have to call himself a magician
0: yeah it's it's fascinating. That's what that me. show feels
1: like to me. Is fi- the entire premise is like people calling me a magician, but who? Wait, hey, whoa, hold on. Yeah. I'm. A, we're all uh, anything we want, and here's like,
0: six effects, right? <laughs> um, that's an interesting thing to me because, um, like everybody loves Derek DelGaudio pretty much, like or at least every, he's currently lauded as the like, the you know, he's he's one of the people that's like cracked the code. Yeah. Right. Uh, but when you listen to him talk, he seems very, like, there's a little hint of, like, I've got to, like, separate myself from everyone else. I, I
1: think what part, the phenomenon, I think, I, I definitely, uh, when Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote Hamilton, I heard him say a couple times that one of the reasons why it was so exciting is because he, he knows how rare it is for a musical to jump off of the arts page right. and make headlines and other forms of media. Right. Um, and you know, and uh, in and of itself definitely did that. Exactly. It, yeah. it broke out of it, it. So it's rare for magic shows to break through to sort of a household like theater audience. Yeah. Um, which is why I think, uh, people like that show so much because anything that sort of takes magic into a more public atmosphere yeah. and represents it very well is really special.
0: Yeah. Um, um the reason I brought that up is right. after listening to that interview, I had an idea for like a possible approach for your show in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And I wrote up like a little script. Basically, I told John.
1: Oh, right. Is this? Yes. We, I, we, I we're said, we're going to talk about this. I've
0: got an idea about how you might approach the show that's a little more theatrical than like uh, a typical like castle show. Mm-hmm. And basically, what I said, John, was if this script is something you, first of all, you don't have to use it. But if it's a. If you read it and you're like, this is 100% what I don't want to do, and I go off in a different direction, then it's worthwhile in that sense. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of kickstart us off in terms of thinking about how you're going to present the show. Right. That wasn't something I had considered much. I
1: considered the individual tone of each of the pieces that I'm writing, right, and and how those sort of play in and how I can make them a little more theatrical by introducing certain ideas rather than just, hey, here's a trick. Uh I had not really paid much paid much thought to the tone of the overall show, yeah, and in, 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 in the terms that you wrote that script about about how I come about the entire thing, yeah. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, something I I had not thought a lot about. Basically,
0: my thought is that fringe shows and fringe magic shows that I've seen, but fringe shows in general can lend themselves to it's very amenable to a more theatrical approach, uh-huh. um, and that even goes for like comedy, like fringe is where stuff like nanette came from right oh that's what i was the comparison i was looking for before was that in and of itself is the nanette of (laughs) of magic oh that's interesting Uh, because also it's like popular outside of the field and also it's a thing that people in the field are like that's not like there's a fair amount of like that's not stand up Mm -hmm. to nanette and there's a little bit of like that's not like there's a little bit of like that's not magic or there aren't enough effects in in and of itself uh that are roaming around but anyway that's that's just an option, and I didn't know if you like. It was just a like. Let me try to show what I'm talking about in terms mm-hmm. of uh, that approach. Right. The so
1: having read that, and I, I did say we could talk about it on on the air. So this is uh, this is good. Yeah. Um, Having read that, I did like it, and I and I definitely think there is lots of merit to doing something like that. Yeah. And I like that tone. What I will say is it did add to the fear and stress I have, because that was something <laughs> I didn't count on, was having to, like, write... Another in, writing part? Like, just, like, another... Not so much another writing part, but another writing part that's so foreign to my voice. So that was one of the the comfortable things. I was like,
0: cool, at least I know what I sound like, and I know how I want this to sound. Well, so, so first of all, it's probably foreign to your voice because I wrote it, and so... yes but this is what i would say is through you can throw out everything i wrote but think about like when someone asks you what the show is about mm-hmm. and you cuz you're pretty you either now or later will be able to talk about what you want the bigger themes of the show to be right and i think that you can just talk to the audience in that way um in your own voice so the only difference is that it's it's you talking about like why you put the show together and what you're trying, you can tell them that kind of stuff, I think, mm-hmm. as opposed to just coming out and being like, um, here's the setup for this next effect. Right. You know? Um, and also the context will be a little different because they're coming in and getting seated as for like a theater show. Right. So there isn't, unless you have Aaron do like, ladies and gentlemen, he's been, you know, like you're, you, a lot of shows there don't get like, the castle intro yes so it's less it's also it's gonna be at one thirty in the afternoon right it's possible the that sleepiest time of day well i was gonna say it's possible that a more theatrical approach will feel better to you too as opposed to it being like having a variety show feel right which in the afternoon might not have the like lively feel that you want oh that's interesting yeah that's Um, a good point you might have a more like oh that was uh it might change the context of like right what a successful reaction is to right (laughs) (laughs) so uh why don't you describe
1: to anyone listening what kind of the vision you had when you wrote that so
0: i wrote out a script that was basically like instead of it starting with like lights up you know he's you know he was too young to be at the castle before he performed there please welcome john accardo right having you come out and like lights up and being like i had a dream last night about this performance that it wasn't going to go well and that um you know i was going to do a trick and you guys wouldn't know what to do mm-hmm. and because of that i prepared this like just getting you from you talking as yourself into the effects in a more like right. personal way um which is you're already sort of doing with the setup for clap and cheer mm-hmm. um and so it was just kind of like teasing that out a little more Uh, and then having that end. And then if you, whatever you wanted to get into next, basically just finding like little um, connective tissue to get you from one effect to the other. And I mean, it did occur to me while I was listening to the the Delgado interview. So it probably feels too much like it. And to me, the only difference would be, I feel like naturally you won't be as like soul searching. I I did have an idea for an effect where the premise is that I am the Rulatista. Yeah. And... <laughs> uh, and also when people come in, they have to like pick a Pokemon card that yes. represents them. It's and that like, the If you you're... really feel like your Pokemon card stand up, yeah. like you are Bulbasaur. You are Detective Pikachu.
1: <laughs> Which I'm so excited for. Are you really? I Here's what I think. I think the movie will be terrible. Yes. But I think the trailers look incredible.
0: What is... Is there a history of
1: Pikachu being a detective? I think it's just a fun costume from the lore. I don't know exactly.
0: Also what's weird is I believe Ryan Reynolds is his voice. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't sound the thing is we've heard Pikachu talk before. Yes. He doesn't sound anything like Pikachu. You mean the sound? Yeah. The Pikachu
1: sound? Oh well, in the trailer, that's explained. He does it? Oh, it is. Okay. Yes, because he's the only one that can hear them actually talk. He okay. can actually hear Pikachu speak real sentences. So there's a scene where he says it to someone else. He's talking to someone else, and you see it from her perspective. And then Pikachu's just doing the cute Pika Pika voice. Wow. But yeah, I think it'll be bad. I think I'm so looking forward to it, though. Also, I'm a week late, but I'm seeing Endgame tonight, and I oh. have never been. I haven't been this excited for a movie, and I can't remember how long. Oh wow, it's, it's killing me. It feels like it's been out for weeks. And, so we're gonna end this early, uh, right? I have tickets to see it at ten o'clock tonight. I've I've on Amazon. I've ordered specific clothing to wear just to go see it tonight. Is that true? I bought an Avengers shirt and Thanos socks. Hey, I uh, actually got two Avengers shirts because I got really excited about it and I don't know which one to wear. And it is a, it has been a series so point of stress all day. You sound
0: very excited for a movie that opened a
1: week ago, two weeks ago, or ten uh, days ago, or uh, uh, seven days ago, and it feels like it's been a month. Here's why I haven't seen it. A close friend of mine, who I wanted to go see it with, uh-huh. was behind on the Marvel movies. He hadn't seen a single one <laughs> since the first Avengers. Oh my god! He's seen like Guardians of the Galaxy. So he's doing catch up. So about three weeks ago, he decided to catch up on the 14 movies since Avengers in 2012. Yeah. And I've been watching those, and then so he had f- about four more to catch up on when this film came out. Wow. So uh, he, cu- he he went to a theater and saw Captain Marvel last night. We're good to go. We have our tickets. Uh, I'm so I I'm legitimately exhausted right now from being excited. <laughs> Because last night, I, 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 honest to God, lost
0: sleep over how excited I was. And you've I was done a good job of uh, staying away from spoilers.
1: I've done a pretty good job. I, um, yes, I I got one very, very minor one. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, on a notification on my phone, are you familiar with Quora Digest? Yes, yes. Okay, I don't know what that is. I never signed up for it. It must have gotten my email from something else. <laughs> for the last two months, I've gotten like, these. you know, how was Tony Stark able to, you know, right. Do such a good job fighting Captain America and Civil War. Like, these questions right, right. about these lore and, like, answer them in nerdy ways. Uh, and the other day I just woke up and I'm getting these Gmail notifications, like, poor Digest, you know, and, like, the headline is one of the questions. Uh-huh. And uh, one of them involved something that happens uh-huh. in the movie. I'm assuming that they're not idiots, so it must not be a huge, huge, huge
0: right deal. I mean... Also, people think that they can talk about these things and not be spoilery. Right. But like even I would say even a reaction emotionally to
1: something. Yes. Like people telling me they cried is, is a is spoiler it, yeah. in, in, in in some contexts. So
0: we we caught up on Game of Thrones this right. last weekend, and the there's something happened in in it that I saw coming because of like non-spoilery headlines about that episode. What
1: I have noticed also about this episode is that uh the level of like, be cool, don't be a dick, don't spoil this, it's been going on with movies, has not really been going on. I've seen a fair amount of spoilers pretty For casually, this last episode? For yeah. this last episode that luckily yeah. I caught up
0: on. Yeah. Um, I just, I saw um, a couple things that were like, you know, isn't so-and-so awesome? And that right. was all it was. And I was like, well, okay. Right. I have a feeling I know what's going to happen.
1: Especially at the end of the the episode, nothing's happened to that person yet. And so we're like, oh, they need someone to save the day right now.
0: We also caught up because I was like, we're three episodes in. Ooh, I better uh, catch up so I don't miss things. So, you know, I was maybe a little spoiler aware. I, I wanted to catch up so I didn't get spoiled. I still got a little bit. Anyway... Um, what I'm saying is that your script should be Avengers Endgame related. <laughs> you should write Endgame into, like, right. all well, of I, your... I feel like what's I feel like there's a rule. I feel like you get six months spoiler-free.
1: Yes. After six months, like, I can talk about Breaking Bad. You know oh, what I mean? Oh,
0: um, yeah, I, th- I would think so. Right,
1: I feel like, in the, like, last, like, on last week, I spoiled season six of Game of Thrones, because fuck, that was in 2016.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold the Door was three years ago. Yeah, and, um, oh, you're gonna get to see... Um, now that you're caught up, you I can get, watch Thrones. Get all the jokes and throw the I know. Down. Yeah, it's part of. It's not. It's not. Not one of
1: the reasons I'm watching. <laughs> um, but uh, Endgame cannot wait. So excited! Um, I was true to God, tossing and turning in bed, thinking oh, wow. how excited I am. Um,
0: so, so. By the way, if you want to take the whole concept of having that kind of script and just do like a castle show. I think that would be fine. I just think that there's a potential. What do you for, mean? How, like, in other words, um, not have any sort of um, more thematic approach to the whole show. Oh, I see. Um, so, no,
1: you're probably right. I think that more thematic approach is good. <laughs> just the only thing that I that came to mind is when oh shit, that is another foreign variable I have to add into this is writing something that is yeah. of outside of my voice. So that's scary. But I think necessary to some degree. I also
0: think it would be interesting if some of the castle like parlor shows and stuff had scripts that were more like that. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Like, imagine a parlor show that just started with a person giving like a little bit of a monologue that isn't like, "Hey, everybody! Hey, you made it to the right. castle." I mean, that's one way of doing it. But like, it would be interesting. I think occasionally right. see a parlor show that was more. Um, but you know, one of the effects of it is I think it is going. And this may be an advantage or disadvantage, but I think it does put a little more emotional distance between you and the audience, or a little um, theatrical distance, mm-hmm. so that they, you know, it it would affect the way you get volunteers. Right. Um, but I think if like in the construct of what I wrote, you could definitely get volunteers by saying like, you know, I had this dream, and this the person came up and the person looked just like you. Right. Um, and then, like, you could sort of non-verbally get them to come up and participate in stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there's definitely
1: ways <clears throat> of doing that.
0: Because um, I think that there's... there Whatever part of you that might be, like, a little bit artsy and pretentious, you could lean that way a little bit for fringe, is basically what I'm saying. Right. Um, and yeah. it's ve- fringe is very tolerant of that tolerance. I'm sure. In a way, um, sure. I mean, a way I mean, that maybe... Um, theater you festival know, i'm sure it kind of will be yeah to some degree um and i think it might lend itself to people um like when we wrote thrones the parent musical parody we put there's moments in there that are not comedic and one of the, i mean yes i wanted to write things that weren't comedic for that show but also there was a little bit of um uh there was a little bit of calculation on my part which was we don't want the show to just seem like a bunch of sketches Right. So having a little bit of emotional through line to the show helped us. And it showed up in the reviews. Like it helped the re- the show not get treated as just like a sketch comedy. And so I think if there's an advantage in putting some themes into your show, one of the advantages is people, someone doesn't come out and just go like, oh, there's some cool tricks. Right. You know. Right, right. Um, So just something to think about.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's all very sage wisdom.
0: Um. So, also, we were going to talk about the TV project.
1: Yeah, I did something in, in February
0: that was pretty fun. That you weren't able to talk about. That
1: I was not allowed to talk about until um, uh, last week when we just got word about it.
0: And is that, you You can talk about it because
1: it aired? or Because, it, at the very least, the announcement, they've begun advertising for it. I, I don't I believe that. it'll air until this month, but they've begun advertising. Right. Um, and what's the project? So, I, in fact, I don't even know what it's called. It's got a Japanese title, but it is this thing that now for this is the third time they've done it. It is a two-hour-long magic special that airs in Japan on NHK, which is the biggest TV network in Japan. I believe one of the biggest in all of Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is But I definitely think it is the number one network in, in, in Japan. Uh, that Shoot basically produces and organizes. Mm. And it's a really big affair. And the last three years, they've done it at the Magic Castle. And so basically what Shoot will do is he'll work with the producers and he'll pitch him these performers... Uh, across stage parlor and close up and essentially fly them in for three days of taping in the morning at the at the castle and they bring in you know audiences to fill uh, to fill the rooms and uh i've been the past two years i've been like in a like a pa on that pretty Mm -hmm. much i've been like assisting the performers picking them up from the airport doing things along uh those lines and you get some really really big name performers uh that are really cool to get to know and Mm -hmm. and and talk to and kind of work drive up, around drive around <laughs> help out um so yeah so this february i did that and there were a lot of really cool people that fl- flew in to, to perform
0: um will you be able to get a copy of this at some
1: point? i don't know I, th- I i never got a copy of one from last well th- so
0: we'll just reach out to our japanese listeners yes I'll... which i'm sure we have some of a
1: little side note did you take a look at the stats on the instagram post you promoted no. Oh, very some very interesting. Twenty percent of the people that were exposed to the ad and saw it were in England.
0: Oh, because I targeted, uh, like London or something like oh, that. Oh, did you? Yeah. Why? Because to hopefully promote your show. Oh, uh, um, clever. I was curious. I'm like, wow. No yeah, yeah, yeah. You it. can pick geographical. In fact, I think I had a problem trying to figure out where to target geographically. Um, yes, but I, but I have targeted typically with fringe ads, um, London and uh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, what are some of the people that performed on this? So this year it was um, the big one, Jan Frisch. Ooh,
1: uh, came um, Miguel Muñoz, current Grand Prix winner. Uh, who else? Kalen and Ginger mm-hmm. did it. Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to make sure I don't confuse anyone with last time. Reed. Reed. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Reed Chang, who a lot of people probably don't know. Um, he is, he won second prize at FISM behind Miguel Munoz Mm -hmm. in general magic. I remember you thinking
0: it was like kind of a 50, 50, they were very close.
1: Um, I, I went when I, so when I first saw Reed Chang, I went, that was incredible. And then Miguel Munoz went a few slots after him. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking at the moment that Miguel Munoz was unbeatable Uh uh, in terms of that competition, at least that nobody was going to jump him right which ended up being correct but uh later on i I, we kind of thought that reed chang's act had a little bit more like um like meat to it Uh in terms of the the magic in it right uh that i think pleased the crowd a a tiny bit more right so i thought that could maybe go along with the judges ended up not even being close uh um, miguel Muñoz got an 87 reed chang got an 80 i believe Mm. which is a pretty big from first to second prize seven points yeah is big uh, not to say that and I also want to preface that by saying not that I think Miguel Muñoz act like didn't deserve to win it's an incredible incredible right. incredible act it's just very 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 different it's a, much, it's a little more theatrical a little more artistic and that is sort of a bigger focus than just like look at these fucking cool things that I can do yeah. which Reed Chang's act has lots of
0: um, and his is pretty theatrical too though like it, Yo, is yes. this the time traveling or the it's like a thing? clock thing yeah yeah, yeah. By the way, another advantage for you to think about a more theatrical approach to Fringe is, like, I think it gets you closer towards a lot of the acts you like in FISM. Yes, like, it does. In, to- in tone.
1: Right. Like, that Snap show is on- just finished up on Broadway. Yeah. Or uh, off... No, I guess it is Broadway, isn't it? Like, a small Broadway theater.
0: Is it? Like, this is uh, the New Victoria Theater. New Victory? New Victory. Is that it? Yeah. I don't know. That might be. I think that's the one on 42nd that's like a Disney theater. Oh, is it not a Broadway theater? I don't know if it is. Um, I know that that place. That it's makes like sense Arrowhead, that they're yeah. there because they um, have a lot of. There's a lot of fringe shows that I'll see end up there like two years later. Oh, really? So they must have some sort of pipeline about like scouting at the fringe. Yeah. You know what? Two years from now, hey. could be John Accardo, Method of the Magic, playing for 500 people. Right. <laughs> um, but. Because, and in, in I feel like when you look at old lists of FISM winners, that a lot of them are more like traditional magic, like, and maybe in the comedy magic sections or whatever. Right. it's more like old, like that kind of ma- variety arts kind of magic. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the ones that you've shown me that have been like top contenders over the last couple. Right. They've mm-hmm. been more on the, like, theatrical, poetic yes. side.
1: Yeah. Um, which I think is really a huge trend in, in Europe and yeah. Asia. And those are the, and, and that's what's kind of dominating right now.
0: Now, did you get to see all the acts in this uh, 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 taping? No. Actually,
1: oddly enough, Shoot performs on it every year. I didn't get to watch Shoot. I was out doing something. Um, oh, Levent did it. Uh-huh. Uh Really, really good performer. Levent uh, did it uh, this year. Who else did it this year? Um, Greg Wilson, uh, i.e. of Mark and Nani Wilson, not Gregory Wilson.
0: And... More Mark and Nani there?
1: They were. There was a little th- segment devoted to them where they showed up. They watched Greg Wilson's taping, right. and Greg Wilson was doing material they invented. Just don't do that because it's that's totally <laughs> right. probably making a loud annoying noise, isn't it? I was crinkling plastic, forgetting the sixteen episodes of this or so we've done. I'm really sorry, audience. I was I. I hope uh, I hope you didn't have to suffer through that. You if you're still didn't. listening, You probably didn't pick up. Um, um, no, it definitely. Did. I saw
0: I saw a random. I saw a random reference to, in some, like, um, magic book about, like, you know, why do why do we join, why did I start studying magic? Well, like anyone else, I saw uh, Nani Danielle in a f- nice dress or something. It was, really, like, a random reference to, like, her being, like, a
1: sex kitten. <laughs> well, she is, yeah, I think she was kind of a sex kitten on that show. But, uh, yeah, so, so Greg Wilson was doing material of theirs from the 70s, and so then they, you know, they panned to them in the audience and gave them a standing ovation, and uh, it was nice.
0: I, by the way, I have I took Mark's level one class at the mm-hmm. Magic Castle, I, and I think they're great, those right. two. They're very pleasant. They seem to care a lot about magic. Then I saw a little clip of Ricky Jay criticizing Mark Wilson, and I was like, fuck Ricky Jay. Yeah. That's how sides get taken. Right. It's just like I happen to have known Mark Wilson 1%, right. and now Ricky I- Ricky Jay was a prickly guy. Yeah. he But he like publicly, on a thing, was, talk, was shit-talking Mark Wilson. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he's dead now. So, yeah. So, who got the last laugh? <laughs> Probably none of us. Right. Um, um.
1: Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Uh, I can't remember who. I mean, I picked these people up from the airport. So, I don't know. <laughs> oh, uh, now I'm confused because last year, there were more. Like last year, Suzanne came and did it. She's great. She did the close up thing. Boris Wilde came. Uh, last year, we also had Mikhail Sanyel, who was a comedy winner from Fizzam a few years back.
0: Um I don't know much about Boris Wild mm-hmm. uh, but I did just buy his marked deck. Oh yeah from CardShark. It's, it's good mark. It's very it's a good, good marking system. Uh because I needed something that marks on the corners. Mm-hmm. Um because the the f- Penguin marked deck which everyone loves right are sort of centerish and not Well there are like marks all over the Penguin deck. They're oh I have, in, like, I have to look then different places. places. I have to look more closely then. Yeah. basically I need something that when you spread
1: right, and his yeah, I mean, his deck is really good for that. I he, he lectured on it when he just lectured at the Apple last year. Oh, cool! Um, and I'd never seen it up close before.
0: Um, did you get to see Miguel Muñoz again?
1: I did. I got to watch Miguel Muñoz. I got to help him set up for his act um, a little bit. So I got to help him install that thing above the ceiling that dri- that trickles water.
0: So is that different than what we saw at the palace? Yeah. So
1: we saw at the palace when he performed there last. Was, was a, a bowl? Was a, he had a bowl of water on the table that he was reaching into. Um, normally that act is done with a little tank of water that at one point in the act begins trickling water down on the stage and then turns off very suddenly. So, sort of a remote control aspect to it. Also, what he was unable to do in the palace because it's too small is the way that act opens, which is one of the most, I'd say, pivotal parts of sort of establishing the theme of that act, ah. which is this: way he, he, he appears on stage, and oh, it's cool. incredible. And there's this sort of this curtain on the floor that sort of see-through. It kind of looks like cellophane almost. Uh-huh. And it's sort of just sitting there on the floor, and he's, no one's on stage. Um, and the curtain opens, and it's you kind of hear the sounds of the ocean, and it's just sort of pulsating on stage. And then it gets a little bit bigger and a little bit taller, and then this curtain starts to mimic a wave, and it creates a wave and, like, crashes on itself. And it's incredibly beautiful to watch. And then that sort of extends, and then the curtain is sort of pulled up until it's just kind of like a scrim covering the entire stage. Mm-hmm. And then he appears behind it, and then the curtain is whipped away off stage, and then he goes into the act with the water trickling from the thing, and it's absolutely beautiful. And that those are really cool. Those are two very aesthetic things that he is sort of has as unable to do in the palace because it is a smaller theater, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, seeing it in a big theater with everything it's it's pretty incredible that sounds awesome yeah it's beautiful I got to see Reed Chang's act again since FISM, which is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my goddamn life uh-huh. it's just so good I I, I, th- I hope he is booked at some more conventions out here because I mean a lot of people I, I, I you know I don't know him being booked anywhere but I know a lot of people that have the power to book things out here mm-hmm. know about him and know about him from FISM. Um, like, I know Mike Caveney was at FISM and watched him uh, and thought he was really good. And, and you know, um, Mike Caveney is the ear of a lot of people that, that book things. Uh, so, I think he will be around definitely soon, I hope. Um, That's cool. And, uh, yeah, that act is one of those things where I it just... Man, he's so far ahead in the things he's... In the methods he's come up with. It's, uh-huh. un, it's unbelievable. So much of that act fools the shit out of me. And... um. Oh, you know, to funny to reference that Pete Holmes conversation with Derek Delgadio. Uh-huh. He talked about with Delgadio. He goes, "Why?" He he basically asked, "Why is it that I need like a handkerchief to be um, passed in front of something as it disappears? Why do I need that moment? Why why would I not be interested if I just saw something really just disappear in front of me without a flash of light or a, or a, uh-huh. a wave or something along those lines?" Like, I kind of need that split second where something just kind of goes in front of it. Right. And he said, I feel like I wouldn't be interested. I don't, I, 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 or excited by, by that if it just happened visually. Right. Derek Delgado gave a pretty nice answer. And he goes, Because if, if, if I kind of just am holding something and I wave, wave my hand five inches in front of it, mm-hmm. just enough for it to kind of cover your view of this object. If I just took that, if I, if I got rid of that and it just vanished in front of you then it takes you out of the equation was the idea because if I if I kind of wave something in front of it you kind of need to be there and you need to be sort of looking at it from where you're looking at it for mm-hmm. it to take on this really magical thing if I kind of get rid of that and it can just happen then it sort of takes the audience out of it and therefore you won't connect to it as much so it won't be interesting I thought that was a beautiful answer and I thought that's a very interesting he, he says it so much more articulately and, and uh, beautifully than, than I just paraphrased it mm-hmm. I haven't mean, listened to it in six months but he made a great point. Um, I thought I agreed with that until, <laughs> until he saw I started Chang. seeing shit just disappear in front of me. Right. And I went, fuck that. It's so cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Because um... you realize you never really see it that often. Um, yeah. Things really just disappear. The only thing I could think of off the top of my head was Tommy Wonder's Vanishing Birdcage. Mm-hmm. That doesn't use a handkerchief or a, or a cover or anything. That's just he's holding it. His sleeve's rolled up and it's gone.
0: I feel like you are seeing more things really disappear with Asian magicians. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like, um, because you do see more stuff that's like, is this CGI happening in front of me? Like, yeah, that's really what's what it looks like. going on? I mean,
1: and here's why, you know, to, to harken back, I, I don't mean to constantly be shitting on magic in America every time just we white, record this. white magicians. Uh, just, well, yeah, every time we do this podcast. But so many of the Americans that went to FISM did poorly. Yeah. The reason why is because, what the the people that do well at FISM understand that you need to constantly be, you can't improve. do the act from four years ago. Right, you have to constantly be building upon the method. Right. It has to be more. In, it has to have more ingenuity than the people from three years ago did. And the way you do that is by building off their ingenuity.
0: Yeah, and also everybody in the field benefits from people pushing these edges. Absolutely, because you know now there's a bunch of effects you can buy off a of penguin now right. that I bet have roots in FISM from 2000. Sure. 12 oh, absolutely. or whatever, you know? You know. Um, and even just showing somebody that a particular method is possible, like right. a, a particular kind of thing. Uh, interesting that- I mean, so much of these people,
1: I mean, so much of the car manipulation now does not exist without Yuho Jin. Uh-huh. Uh, Yuho Jin, you know, being the first um, Asian person to win the
0: Grand Prix. Uh, this is the guy standing on like a, in a bunch of pool of water or something? No. Uh What? And snap! Somebody did. Is that no, I he think? was not. He's never been part of the snap. Oh, okay. Show.
1: He uh he won the grand prix in 2012 with the car manipulation act. Still one of the most that act still holds up incredibly well. Um, but for the most part, acts that win the grand prix one year, I feel, would not do very well if they took that exact same act to FISM, you know, three years later. Uh-huh. And that is because that they kind of created this thing. They sort of showed the world the sort of uh, vision. Um, and then the rest of the world took that and ran with it and therefore Mm -hmm. the new set of visionaries will take those ideas and and build them up. Uh, So what I noticed with Americans at FISM was that they were all doing things that existed. You know, uh, card manipulation is different now. If you're Mm -hmm. just doing back palm split fans at fism you will lose you yeah. will lose badly because i have in four fisms from now you're getting the red buzzer <laughs> right I don't, it, it's, it's, a fa- it's it's amazing something like, i don't know where we're even gonna go topaz who's a great german magician yeah he goes to fism every year he did a gala show and he MC the finals the grand prix uh but in his gala show he goes i've been watching this competition during the daytime and he goes when i was young we used to use methods to do things but now these people are it's like they're doing real magic. Yeah. We used to back palm things, but now every person who has who wants to, you know, a tenth of a percent chance of winning FISM needs to spread their fingers and show their hands front and back empty before producing that fan of cards. And it's right. unbelievable. That just is the standard now. Hmm. There was an American who went and did the sort of uh, classic car manipulation act with the back palms and all that stuff that ex- could have been done 15, 20 years ago. And look, I'm not going to say it was done poorly. It was done quite well, but. That is, you know, this was 2018. So six years ago, Yuho Jin spread his fingers and produced a split fan, mm-hmm. and that that was. And people have built on that since then. You can't yeah. you can't do what came before that and hope to do as well or better. Um, you just can't have it. You got to listen, and you know this happens in. This happens in conversation. People hear the old stuff and they build new things off.
0: Yeah, there. yeah. Uh, by the way, Snap Snap is off-Broadway. Uh, okay, so it wasn't Here, off-Broadway. Here's show. who's in Snap. Because I don't remember who I... The names right. are so... Some of them, uh, from what I've seen in the ad, I do not recognize.
1: Okay. But I will recognize... Ha- any name I'll recognize, I'll, I'll have seen their act. Ted Kim? Incredible. Love Ted Which Kim. Which one is he? Ted Kim is kind of like the sort of mime thing. Is he or, the projectionist? Yes, he is a projectionist. Yeah, that's very
0: uh, fun. Uh, won the award for most original stage activism in 2012. I wouldn't even... That is when I saw it, and I was like, "That doesn't seem like magic." It, it has as...
1: very little magic. It also has changed quite a bit every time I've seen it uh-huh. between what the magic actually is. That is one of those shows that, for me, one of those acts that for me uh, is so interesting and beautiful yeah. and still magical that I don't doesn't really, really I don't really care what the label is, and yeah. I would put that in any magic show in the world. Yeah, uh, if if I ever a, put on a magic show, he'd be in it. This
0: is a guy wearing an all white outfit. He's wearing
1: an all white outfit that. Things are projected onto him. Yeah,
0: and he's in perfect like alignment yes. with the projection.
1: And then he'll the music will change it will sort of become whatever that thing is. Uh,
0: young Min Kim.
1: Yes, uh, he is the guy that does that act with sand. Sand. Okay. He won first place at General Magic in 2015. He was very cool. Uh is incredible. That is one of
0: my favorite acts. They should put him ever. with Miguel Munoz. Um, and then the third act he should, beat Miguel Munoz, Munoz be like- in 2015. The well, first of all, the intermission should just be making the audience clean
1: up the stage. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, in 2015, Kim Young Min won first place in general magic, and Miguel Muñoz won second prize. Wow! And that was the year Hector Mancho won the grand prix. I'm I know so much FISM stuff. So this should just be the FISM, FISM cast. Uh, oh, uh, don't get me started. Chang Min Lee. Yeah, he won third prize in manipulation. I believe that card manipulator. Same, he's a card manipulator. So he's too,
0: I saw would probably do card manipulation.
1: Yeah. So he has this. Th- I saw him. He performed at FISM last year. And it was very different okay. than what i had seen before. He used to have this little tree that he, was re- he would reach into and produce. It the- had a sort of a butterfly. I think act. that's what I saw. And so you would hold he these two cards coat. together, and they would you know kind of flip them as if yes. they were butterflies. There's a lot of, sort of butterfly things. Yeah, um, a symbolism, and imagery there. Now, last time I saw him, he's the tree is gone, and he's standing in sort of this briar patch thing, and there's a big vine wrapping up his leg. Ooh, I haven't it's seen this. Really cool. It, you know, it's very organic. And it's pretty beautiful.
0: And then young Ju Kim. That I yeah I do not know him. I'm, I'm pretty sure those are all the names of people I recognize. He juggles bricks that appear out of thin air. I don't remember that at all. Maybe they added him. Mm-hmm. Um, also, then there's uh, one, two, three, four clowns, and those can all be cut from the show. In oh. my opinion, <laughs> they're fine. But they're those are those parts of the show where you're like, ooh, these are um, comedic and aesthetic standards that are not American. Right. That like, it, it's the kind of thing. Oh, uh, I can't wait till you see some of these shows in fringe where like it'll be like all comedy and then in the middle of it there'll be like a tribute to a dead baby or something <laughs> like where they're genuinely sad and then like the gear just the gears shift in ways that you're like what like okay and then That's back to so magic fun. i am <laughs> excited
1: to see like a, a pretentious french clown named like Tartuffe or
0: something that will be like that'd be, you know i feel like there's gonna be a lot of that at the well th- it's tough because i love european clowning and it's not there's very little clowning there that is, like, you should take this seriously. Like, the way they parody it, like in Baskets, mm-hmm. is not really a thing. There's a lot of clowning. I've never watched
1: Baskets, but I've heard it's incredible.
0: Well, it, it's very good. But he, But there's a lot of clowning that is... Um, all the clowning, at least from the two main schools of clowning... And by the way, you can tra- t- change this into Clowncast. <laughs> there's uh, Lecoq and there's Philippe Gollier, these two mm-hmm. major, like, f- uh, French clowning teachers.
1: A clown was at... FISM last year, Oh,
0: uh, Avner the Eccentric. Oh, yes, Avner, yes. And he that was one of the
1: most entertaining shows I've seen in my life. Yeah, He killed, I and mean, there's 800 people, and he yeah. killed harder than I'd seen almost anyone kill ever. It was well, unbelievable
0: what an experience that was. This to is what I would live. say about That School of Clowning. Is That School of Clowning... I don't first, know what school that first is. First of all, uh, French, like, artsy clowning. Mm-hmm. First of all, the students themselves and the clown, they do take themselves very seriously because sure. I took a clown class here and it was actually one of the hardest classes I've ever mm-hmm. taken. They take themselves very seriously, but the people that are really good at it um, are, it is almost implicit in all of their clown characters that they are aware of how dumb the whole thing is. Right. So it's actually very rare that you see someone like do like just stuff from Cirque du Soleil <laughs> where mm-hmm. like here's a balloon and I chase it and it represents my youth or whatever. <laughs> That's, it doesn't happen very much. It There's a lot more like, dumb goofy stuff. And that stuff's great actually. Um you're talking about having something appear and something before you it disappears like that moment of not seeing something? Right. Um do you have you, do you or have you done French kiss? The trick? No. Uh do you know what it's the like you sign a card, they put it between their teeth and then I sign a card oh, put it between sure. my teeth. Oh, sure. Like just like a card transposition. Yeah. yeah. I just heard it referred to as French kiss.
1: Um that's one of many versions of it. The one that I saw
0: was before the final reveal the magician takes the card into his mouth right spits it back out and then reveals it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is one of those moments that's like it's it, and I f- do feel like in that effect it's stronger because of it cuz in that moment there in your brain you're a little bit like wait did he it gives you a little bit of doubt as to like what happened mm-hmm. and maybe helps you not backtrack it as easily. Right. Uh or it's like a little red herring to like Get you because if you if you see the two folded cards the whole time, and you never see any moment where they could have possibly switched, right? And then they switch, I think you might backtrack and be like, "Well, yeah." They then yeah. obviously they were never the real cards. Absolutely, to begin with. that can be a big part of that uh, sort of misdirection
1: and the way yeah. people remember um, remember how the uh, the trick works. Yeah, or um, how the trick went. Um, I have so many things to. Do uh, you have something? Because I have a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Well,
0: also, the we have the other, the uh, master class thing. Yeah, that was one of the things. Yeah. Um, what was another one? Uh, given that
1: this is a magic, technically a magic and comedy podcast, yes. I wanted to talk to you about um,
0: I Think You Should Leave. Oh, I mean... It's so good. I think you should leave, which is Tim Robinson's sketch show on. Netflix. I watched four episodes last night. I would like even say morning. pause this episode and go watch all. Oh funny. my god! It's six it's, fifteen minute episodes. They're, they're so bingeable. So fucking weird. Yeah. How does so it good.
1: I, I kept trying to explain, understand why that show works, and I couldn't do it. And it was, but it's so good. Well, it's in the Tim and
0: Eric ballpark. Yes, so which I was never a big fan of. Well, I always thought that was a little too strange Well, this is interesting. Eric, my husband, does not like Tim and Eric, mm-hmm. but he really likes this show. And I'm
1: in a similar... I don't know if I dislike Tim and Eric, but I'm but, definitely in a similar but it didn't, vein.
0: It doesn't capture him the way this show captured him. Right. And I don't, I don't know if I can quant- qualitatively fly. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I could quantify it. Right. <laughs> There's two shows, total. <laughs> um, there <laughs> is something different about living in the same world of absurdism, but this one is somehow more enjoyable to me somehow. Yes. i'm not quite sure why
1: um there's something about here's something i thought about last this morning uh I, this show's only been in my system for 12 and a half hours yeah. now um but like thinking of i you know what has to be one of the most like remem- memorable sketches for me at least is the the uh, gift receipt one. Oh yeah it's unbelievable i saw you quote it on yeah, facebook yeah. this morning yeah um, the with Steven Ewan? Yeah, from Walking Dead. I don't know how to pronounce his name. And
0: it's basically like, it's you know... It's so fucking
1: weird. And, and, and something about it, the way it devolves, I think... This is what makes it different. I don't know Tim and Eric that well, so they might do a lot of the similar formula. But something interesting about it was the way that... the You get that typical sketch format of, you know, you get the one...
0: Uh, well, right, like, well, I'm a weird character. Right, you get the weird character. Everybody and then, else is like, dude, what's up with you? Right,
1: but this time... He ends up pulling in every other character with him, and they,
0: and that has that happens in a couple of sketches where like in the show, yes, yes, that's a big part of their formula.
1: Is <laughs> that like because SNL you have oh this character is weird and they do weird stuff which can be very funny, and then but that's over. kind of the formula. Yeah, this is uh, like he's weird and does crazy stuff, yes. but then wins over every other person in the room onto say, his side except for
0: like one person, and oh, then that well, person's an odd one out. Along the same lines, I think my favorite sketch is the. uh car focus group i don't think i've seen that. there's an older guy and he's like what are some good ideas for this car he's like i forgot about that one how about a good steering wheel that you know is not going to fly out the window right and he's like okay whatever uh a great steering wheel that would not fly out right you need to make this car too small (laughs) so we know the steering wheel would not fly out and die right and like and then eventually, eventually that guy you, wins over everyone else he wins by over picking on someone else. By picking
1: on someone else, and then he becomes like the hero and the yeah. protagonist. That's getting it. So, the similar. Um, I also loved. This does not have the same <laughs> the same effect, but um, I died laughing at the Will Forte sketch. Yes, where he's the
0: old man crying on the plane. Um, so I just shot a short film over the weekend. Oh, cool. Uh, and I got to work with Henry Rollins. Oh, and, that's right. I saw your face with um, But the cinematographer for that short film was also the cinematographer for I Think You Should Leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's the main reason I watched it this week because he, he and the director of the thing that I was in, they were talking about how fun it was. Apparently, there are like six sketches they cut. Right. So the, he was like, they could put out another like three episodes now. Oh, wow. Um, but that uh, Will Forte one, he said that, when they started shooting Tim Robinson's takes where Wolf like in his face, <laughs> right. He said it was a solid 30 minutes before Tim Robinson could do a normal take. Oh, because, because it was just in his face with that wig and stuff that he just couldn't like do a normal take. <laughs> oh my God. Which it was is amazing. So good.
1: Um, Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I definitely recommend people (laughs) watch that. And it's weird, yeah, I mean, you quoted it on your Facebook, but, like, he He invents... Yeah, he he backs his own phrases. He he invents his own, like, phrases about pooping that you understand so quickly. It's like you took a mud pie and you took too small a slice. Yeah, the the
0: similar one that I also really like is the Vanessa Bear Instagram captions. Oh, my God. (laughs) Where, like, they're, like, they're, like, Hey, having brunch with these two dum-dums. Oh, my God. I don't have a... And then hers are just so oh, harsh. Right. She's just like, like, eating this pig shit with yeah. my shitty friends. If we died, no one would care. Downing pig dicks with these two <laughs> lard faces. Just put us in a competition, to a horseshit snarfing competition. Right. <laughs> And then they're like, "You can't." That's so aggressive. She's like, "Why you called me a dum
1: dum?" Yeah, that's so, that's so good. Go watch it. <laughs> Go watch uh, it. Holy shit. Um, okay, so that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Yes, unless there's more on that, but it's just so clever. Another thing is, yes, Penn and Teller put out a masterclass.
0: So, funnily enough, both of us are subscribers to ma- a masterclass. Yes,
1: I actually recently, I um, a, re- a birthday gift to me from someone was buying me an, a year long subscription, which I just hadn't done yet. Uh. Um, and so when that came up, I went, "Oh, I want to watch this now." So then I just the other day, I re upped my year long subscription first of all
0: it's a good it masterclass used to be like $99 per class right uh, in fact that's when I got the well it's still like $80 per class yeah and then uh, a year-long pass for all of them is 180 yeah it's so it, that's back in the day is when I, I I was a member from the beginning because I still have access to the Kevin Spacey acting ones. oh you still, still you have access to it? yeah they still it's still up there you just you can't get it if you're new right <laughs> um so yeah, I had access to that when I was up and I should have I guess taken advantage so of it. So I believe today is Thursday? Yes. Like Tuesday or Monday night I got an email that was like we're going to release something fun tomorrow and right. it was a it was picture like a magic of like wand in the deck and of cards. I was like yeah. is it going to be a magic thing? And it actually I remembered that my friend Matt Donnelly who does the Abrakadabool show mm-hmm. mentioned doing some kind of thing. So the next thing when it's Penatello he's like, "Oh, this is the thing Matt was talking about." And Matt is actually one of the people the people there's two like Every master class has the person working with people. Right. Uh, And he's one, and Piff is another one. Cool. Um, So what would you think? Did you get to watch it? I've only
1: watched three episodes so far, so Uh about half an hour of content, just where they go teach the cups and balls. So far, I mean, I like it. Right now, the actual magic they're teaching is very sort of beginner. Yes. So like, there was not a lot for me to learn watching them talk about the French drop. Right. Not that that wasn't good information or that I'm some expert, but they, they say this is the basic, the first thing you should learn. Yeah. And there's a reason why that is and uh
0: it's a tough thing because you know in total i think it's like four hours of instruction or something mm-hmm. it's like not long right like how far deep can you get in absolutely with um in the cups and balls is, is it illuminative to watch him teach it to because there's new are they right completely like new two people? people. like three people there that have zero experience in magic and how is that watching it's is it teller doing most of the teaching um yeah they kind of go back and forth uh-huh. uh I think it's uh I wonder if this is the first like official time that Teller is speaking like he speaks on a there's like a Google right co- interview like I don't know cuz they never address it or they haven't addressed it <laughs> Yeah, yet. I thought that was interesting too. <laughs> he just starts too. talking. Yeah. Um, which must be di- like, I'm sure
1: I haven't looked at the comments. I'm sure they read the comments It would be 80% of people going,
0: "What?" Yeah, yeah. Um I love hearing Teller talk like yeah. when I've heard interviews. He's with such him. an intelligent guy. Yeah, I just I mean, I for would... my money he's
1: the best magician in the world. Uh yeah. And I love hearing him talk. Yeah. I think his show, Play Dead, is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Oh, cool. Um, which I- Was that a
0: solo show? Like, no,
1: it was a show he directed that taught, he wrote with Todd Robbins. Okay. And it was sort of like this kind of spook show kind of a thing. Ooh. That day, it was off-Broadway for um, a, uh, a few months, and I saw it there um when I was- Got of in eleventh grade, and they did it at the Geffen for um, you know two months, and I saw it I think three times. Oh, cool! It's one of my favorite shows ever. It's like really creepy and dark
0: and fun and scary and with cool magic and right. it just it's unbelievable. Um, I'm trying to think. What, let me just look at some some of the other topics mm-hmm. that you so you watched how much of it? Sometimes?
1: I watched I think three episodes. I'm going to watch more. What's interesting about it was uh, I'm curious if uh, I, you know being a member of a, a you know some magic Facebook groups. Oh, the issue was immediately raised over whether people were cool with this or not. Okay, uh, and so how the, could they not be cool with this? Because it is putting out magic. In a, it, it's advertising the secrets of magic to a very public audience. That yeah. whereas most of the ma- I think the argument is, and actually I've had to fish th- to give them the benefit of the doubt. I've sort of had to fish out this argument because the the number one argument is I don't know if I if I like that you know they're advertising this to to the public. Now, to me, as you and I have talked about, like there's so much magic available for purchase anyway. What is the difference between that and this? Right. And I think the argument that I have yet to hear super articulately put, but I, I think is the core of it, is that this is being marketed to a public audience. It might not have, you know, no one's c- going to this going, oh, where's your magic stuff? Where's your magic stuff? This is a magic the secrets of magic being advertised to people that might not otherwise be looking for it. You might have been
0: looking for a Serena Serena Williams to teach you tennis.
1: Exactly. A lot of people now may have, have access to this through their year long passes. Oh, that's true. That uh, would not have watched, paid attention to it. Otherwise I, um, meh. Yeah. I'm with you. (laughs) I I think this is a great thing. Yeah. I think, yeah. And a lot of people have responded this way online from what I've seen that you know, if there's anybody we want having a public course out there on magic... It'd be these guys. It'd be these guys. Yeah. You know?
0: Uh, and any, if there's anyone you wanted that you know would take care of that thing right. you're worried about... Absolutely. Them and Johnny Thompson, you would hope, would be the ones to take care of that. Right. And I believe Johnny Thompson is on sub up a couple episodes. Yeah, he's on not the, gotten to it yet. Um, also, it clearly passes the you pay me a dollar and I tell you, like, you pay something to learn. Right.
1: And that's what some of the arguments I saw was that, you know... The fact that this is ninety
0: dollars on its own, mm-hmm. or you know that is going to defer people, and that's far more. Even the one eighty for a year, I mean, you're still paying. Also, that's right. far more expensive than than what you have to pay to learn the secrets of many tricks that people see, like in strolling magic, right. for Example.
1: Now that being said, I mean, watching them just reveal all the cups and balls was interesting. I mean, that's a pretty. I I'm torn because it's kind of my same thing with with spoilers. It's like if you if you if you didn't do it after, you know, if, if like if you didn't watch it after six months, yeah. eventually. You know, we're, uh, uh, it's not our fault anymore that we put it on Facebook. I would say with the cups and balls, kind of like it's been around for thousands of years. Yeah. I don't, you know, we can let that one out of the bag and move on.
0: Well, that's what, like, looking you at know? the lessons plan, there's cups and balls, you know, them just revealing basics of card and coin magic, I think is probably fine.
1: Well, and here's I something I, I completely agree, and like I said I'm pretty open that I, I'm not a huge fan of the secrecy of magic in general, or not, a, not necessarily not, not, that I'm not a big fan of it. I don't mind when things are exposed. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mind talking about the methods or something because I think when done properly, it, it it raises the bar of how difficult magic is and how interesting and intricate it is, yeah. which I've talked about many times on this. I think this will do that. I also began thinking, I'm like, what is the fantasy here that magicians seem to have? Magicians seem to think, okay, here's what I want. I want magic to be the most popular thing out there. I want it to be, you know, loved and uh, uh you know and um as popular as as movies and as theater and as musicals and as music. I want it to be as popular as all of those things. Um that being said, uh, I only like it done a certain way and nobody's allowed to learn about it except for me.
0: Right, you know, it's you, like you basically want an audience that never educates itself about the, the art thing form. that they love. So, but they want it to be the number
1: one thing. But it like, happens, what is the fantasy there? If we right. want it to become more popular, we want people to have a better understanding of it, so that hacky shit doesn't pass anymore. Yeah. That it, that that requires a deeper knowledge of magic and a deeper understanding of it.
0: You know. Also, I would argue this is why cups and balls is so stagnant because um no one's you, forcing it to move forward well no one's forcing it to move forward and also you want ideally i think you would want an audience where people see magic six times a year as opposed to one right and you want people to see magic 20 times a year as opposed to six mm-hmm. so if you it's almost like in computer security if you're depending on security through obscurity which is like you want to be able to do the cups and balls just because like, people only see every once in a while right. and don't know anything about it. Right. And then you get to keep your same act from like 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing you're talking about where FISM is in conversation with itself over and over because people are seeing it and going like, we need to do better.
1: Right. Art doesn't happen. Art happens in conversation. Yeah. It, it, you know, Jackson Pollock only exists because of people before him yeah. You know, that inspired him. Like, I like, mean... Because, of, like, Andy Warhol, before him. You know,
0: if, like, a Renaissance painter was like, here's my painting, and it was Jackson Pollock, they'd be like, we're going to execute you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if they did that in the day, but, you, you know, know, it sounds like something they would do.
1: Right. Well, I mean, like, everything does. I mean, even... And I was actually surprised to hear this. Uh, I don't know if we said this on mic or off, but you had mentioned to me, you know, the types of, uh, like, three-pointer shots that people are making in basketball now. Yeah. That exist now because... One person did them and they became more popular yes and I never thought that you could necessarily change the way people like do these three. I, I just figured the best way already existed but it's, oh yeah but it but even that that the methods by which people are shooting a ball at basketball is developing and evolving and improving the
0: physical mechanics of how they teach people to shoot jump shots is different than it was 10 years ago. Right. That's and, and, you, and you would and I think, think never would have guessed you would that. think that they had they had figured it
1: out. Right. That. I well, I just didn't even I I didn't even think there was more to figure out. Right. That the average person could do. I figured, oh, you know, maybe um, Oh,
0: interesting. So I think one of the reasons why it's changed. What's the name of that guy from the Golden State Warriors? Stephen Curry. Thank you. So I think one of the reasons why it's changed is there are way more three-pointers being shot. Um per game Mm -hmm. and they're being shot from further distances right so it's changing the mechanics of how these shots are taken and how often they're taken I believe some of his I I don't I don't know that he created these but he certainly popularized it I believe some of it's coming from um, a different way of shooting a ball that is less fatiguing so you can shoot Twelve of them in a game, right? Because it's funny; it's actually tiring to shoot a basketball from far away. Like it's like if you it's just if, a lot of strength, I'm sure. Yeah, like if we took went to the court and like we had to both shoot like twenty three point shots NBA right. distance, you'd be like, oh, my arm hurts, which, which is interesting because you and I are both in prime physical condition. Yeah, I mean we're sort of like, but we're like all around supreme athletes. Right. I would say, and as long we, as it's not on one of our triathlon days, yes. then I could probably do it fine. Yeah, Eric recently asked me if my hands hurt from practicing magic, <laughs> and I was like. Not really, but they maybe can. some people do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can get blisters a lot. Uh, um, but, and we all know that Shin Lim had carpal tunnel. Right. Uh, but we, from playing piano, I think, not from magic. Right. I got carpal tunnel from working a temp job in an office. <laughs> but there's no fism for that. Right. Um, yeah, it's it, the fantasy you're talking about is very self-defeating. But do you agree with me that that kind of exists? Well, it's, it's, like, it's nonsensical because it's like...
1: Because I, I, I thought about that. Kind of last night. I'm like, you want it to be super popular, but also super. You secret. want the audience to be dumb. You want the. Yeah. You want the audience to not know anything about it while also it being the number one thing they consume that they respect as much,
0: you know. Yeah. You also want to. That fantasy seems more like a worker fantasy of like, I want to be able to work all my gigs. Right. And no one ever knows, you know. Right. Because if people if everybody knew how cups and Balls worked, then if you saw it at the castle, you'd have to do something innovative to mm-hmm. it. And it doesn't seem like that has to be done at this point.
1: Right. I mean, there are, a, I would say that any, and, and people bitch about YouTube, you know, um, tutorials all the time. I, I would bitch about them in this terms that if we're training a new generation of magicians through YouTube, which we kind of are, the quality of that instruction does matter. Yeah. Um, I will not bitch about it in the terms that it's out there publicly, because I think that you could take, I mean, with the existence of those, there are still dozens and dozens of performers that I would super say supersede that regard like the fact you could watch these youtube videos and still be blown away by impressive yeah acts impressive magicians um you know i would say if 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 like someone revealing the cups and balls online ruined your whole business then it shouldn't have been i I don't know no no actually
0: so the thing is that when we go see shows at the castle i know some of what's going on and you know most of what's going on sure but we can still be impressed by an act Mm -hmm. um and i would say that If there are no acts that, like, are genuinely good, that because you and I know some of the secrets that are happening are like, well, that's not, that's shitty because I know what the secret is. It's like, it's still a good act. Right. You know, and so the ones that I think we don't like are the ones where it's, (laughs) I I can see where, like, magician bitterness comes from this, where it's like, that act is killing Right. And it's shitty to me because right. it seems hacky and whatever.
1: Well, if you're sick of that, then what you need to do is there needs to be a culture whereby you cannot do the same things that have already existed. Right? Right. If you're pissed off when when oh, I can't believe this guy is just doing the Vernon Cups and balls and he's killing, but he's right. putting no thought into this. Then uh you need to institute a culture whereby it is not okay for someone to just do the Vernon Cups and balls. Right. You know, and be put in big uh, big stages that have a lot of weight as far as representation of magic. Have you heard of, right? This This is exactly why I do not do the cups and balls in the magic castle. I have nothing interesting to add to it. I don't have a cool liquid load. I don't have some shit. I just do a solid cups and balls routine. Here's a suggestion.
0: A fourth cup and (laughs) ball. Oh, we're going to cut right now, folks. We got to write some things. I mean, you got your FISM act right there. Right. Right. 33% more cups and balls. (laughs) Um, have you heard this analogy that I heard Xavier Spade make between magic and food? Uh, you know,
1: I I watching Chef's Table, I've made a lot of comparisons to magic. So, so I'd be curious to think if we think a similar well, thing. Well,
0: basically he was just talking about how um th- a lot of the similarities in terms of like layers of people in the field have parallels in the food industry because there's like, you know, there's like uh you know, David Chang. There's like artists, right? And there's also like fast food, right? There's also like when you have a wedding, you have to have a caterer, right? Like, and it's interesting. I feel like in food, there aren't people trying to draw like universal lines between, you know, like uh, Grant, what's his name from Chicago, Eleniades Chats, yeah, Grant Chats, between him and like Taco Bell, right? Someone isn't trying to say like a universal philosophical thing for both those. Oh, entities. that's very interesting. Um, um, I, You know, it's funny. I would also... I, also, you have to have magic three times a day. Right. Or you, or you die. <laughs> um,
1: I, the, the comparison I make with magic and food, watching Chef's Table, is there are so many... I mean, I, almost every episode of Chef's Table, almost without exception, has a point where the chef is talking about some cool, weird thing they tried and did, uh, and then the whole town revolted, because that's not how you do gnocchi. That's not, you know... Right. Uh, that's not, oh, that's not how you do... Um, cannolis i was in trouble because everyone no one would eat at my shop because they said that's not what these are you right. changed it up that's that's you know blasphemy to what this is and i think of a similar thing with magic where it's like anytime someone does something really new or weird or like no no no, this is what yeah it's uh people get in trouble for kind of going in weird new directions sometimes i
0: guess the thing i would be careful about in magic because i see this happening in comedy is standards that become like internal standards that are a little disconnected from what an audience genuinely enjoys mm-hmm. so like for example, in at UCB, there's there becomes an internal conversation about what makes a good herald, right? And so you can go to a herald night at UCB and see students laughing at a herald where you're like, I don't get what they're laughing at, and they're laughing because it's fulfilling the the structures and requirements that they've been taught and are right. learning, and they're like recognizing, hey, oh, you're hitting this like second beat the way it should be, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm laughing. Right, you're technically doing it right, right, and I. But when you put those Herald teams in front of like a completely 100% non-improv audience, they sometimes don't respond in the same way. Mm -hmm. Because they don't know what standards you're talking about. They're just like, I just want to see something funny. Right. Um, So you don't get any, you might be fulfilling internal standards that have no relevance to what like an actual civilian wants to see. Mm -hmm. And I imagine there's things like that in magic. Sure. I, I think another, going with the food analogy, another thing that I thought about
1: was when these people were creating wild and original stuff in the kitchen, I definitely came away with a sort of inspiration that it is very similar in that there's no rules, really. Yeah. You can kind of create whatever you want. You're only inhibited by your own creativity and ingenuity. So, like, listening to that, you know, Grant of Chats, he said something very interesting about, um, he goes, I realized that we were being held back by the plates we were using, and I thought it was ridiculous that someone who designs a plate gets to decide what oh. the dimensions of which my food is supposed to be. Yeah. That's you know, and he goes, why, and I just went, why do I have to, why does he get to decide what, you know, the, that I must plate my food in, on an eight inch plate? Right. So he goes, so what, you know, even was saying just to be creative. He's like, what if people sat down and the food was plated across their entire table? Yeah. You know, or we basically made a painting out of food on the wall or stuff like that. Uh, and I, I, I saw a lot of comparisons between lots of people who just said, I wanted to do something new and different. And I yeah. realized the only thing holding me back was myself, my own creativity. And they're not – we have these per, pretend made-up rules about what food is supposed to be and how it's supposed to come that don't really exist. I think in Magic, same thing. It's like this is what a Magic show typically looks like that are,
0: we say are rules that aren't and, really rules. And- it's probably worth it as an artist to bump up against those rules and occasionally be like oh that's yeah. why this is a rule right <laughs> like, absolutely experiment with that. um that to bring it back to full, full circle to the Gaudio interview mm-hmm. uh he did mention in there like one of his approaches was or things to think about are like what would a magic show look like if you didn't have to do certain things so like one of them was like what if you vanished something and it didn't have to appear again right or you know these are more hypothetical but he was like what if you had did a magic show and you didn't feel like you had to fool them with every effect right like or and it just might be an interesting way to find other nooks and crannies of the art that don't exist right now something about you know do you have to fool them i know I've referenced references routine before on
1: the show but uh axel adler's three leg routine right is which you've seen right yes um it's a very, it's a really cool routine, and it's and when I first saw it, I thought it was great, and I saw it a second time, and I started asking myself, I wonder if this is, what is
0: the, does he really have three legs? Well, that, well that's what's <laughs> interesting
1: about it. What is the the, what what are you trying to put out to the audience, right? And it and what does it mean? What is your standard by fooling them? No one's gonna leave going, oh, he had three legs, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So like, what, except uh, Squidward. So what? Uh, right. Uh, so um. What becomes your standard of fooling? It? Right. Is it, I could never tell which one it was? Right. And then it becomes more of a puzzle, which I know some people speak out against. Now, for, for the record, I, I love this routine. I think it...
0: If that it, was a puzzle, I would say that was a, like a delightful puzzle.
1: Right. Oh, I love it. And I love watching it. And I think that also has earned its spot on stage as yeah. a really quality piece of magic. But it's interesting because that, I think along with that Delgadio hypothetical, kind of, if it doesn't move the bar, it certainly asks you where the bar, it makes you ask yourself where the bar is. Right. What, you know is it a successful magic performance if I know inherently that it's not, you know, that,
0: yeah. If if I, if I
1: can answer a big question about that, because does he really have three legs? And the answer is no, you know, did he really detach his legs to, you know, push himself off? stage? that's how that routine ends is he's holding all three of his legs that are all moving. And he kind of uses them to like push off stage. Yeah. You know, if I can immediately go, no, that isn't real, you know, Sure, of course you're going to be able to do that. You just have to then sort of re ask ask yourself where the line is as far as what I means wonder. To be fooled.
0: I wonder if that line exists already, even with card, coin, mentalism, whatever. Where like, um, maybe the baseline of it is like not really that you fooled me that those coins, those three coins went to the other hand, mm-hmm. but just that like I enjoyed living in a brain space where right. like I didn't understand what happened
1: uh, I took a very
0: successful
1: very talented lawyer to the Magic castle oh. um a few months ago he he's, he was a president of the American mock trial Association for a while huh. um, and so he, you know he's done mock trials whole life he currently teaches he heads the mock trial program at Ucla's law school has uh-huh. a trial advocacy program as a law professor there really really intelligent guy him and his wife both very talented lawyers or his fiance and uh, we saw um uh, Xavier Mortimer when uh-huh. he did The Palace. It was the same week I was there, in December. He, he, he came to see my act, and then I showed him to the, the Palace show. And one of the most powerful pieces in that show, across the three or four different laymen guests that I sent to that show, was not some of the really weird theatrical stuff he did, but it was his um, uh, silent treatment routine, where he you know, had people say some stuff in the audience, whatever, and then eventually the, it ends with him opening his mouth, and there's a piece of paper with all that information written on it. Uh-huh. Right. Did you see that show? I've it's not. A, okay, that's Avery mortimer show. Sounds it's great. very good. If, have you ever seen him in Vegas? I think he's still in Vegas. I'm sure he doesn't. I think that was just a shortened version of his Vegas show. At any rate, so the you know uh, we're talking about it later, and he, he talked about that routine. That routine really stuck with him. And again, he was able to break. He reverse engineered it, and it was dead on. He goes, "Well, okay." Uh, so the premise of the routine is he has something in his mouth. Uh, that thing predicts information that he could not possibly know beforehand. That means that there must have been, you know, that information did not change. That must have meant that there was some way for him to get that thing into his mouth uh, without the audience seeing it. Mm-hmm. So, so then he said, so just, that was just, he, the guy didn't flash or anything. that no, was, just, that was him, just him ruminating. R- yeah, just yeah. him truly reverse engineering the process of what happened, forcing out its, what the method was. And then he obviously couldn't quite figure out what the method was on how he did right. it. But it was very interesting because just by virtue of logically playing out what happened he got to a spot where he knew he had to be correct, that he had to load it into his mouth somehow. Right. The question is for lay audience is, does that mean that they were fooled by the effect? Right. If he's, if he cannot identify as he was unable and he was unable he to do complete so, it. he yeah. could not figure out how he got that information into his mouth. And of course, having seen it, the method he used was pretty clever. It was very well timed. Yeah. Uh, it was done really well and correctly,
0: yeah. I would add. Um, so yeah, he's you, not, your friend is not fooled that he had something in his mouth that predicted people's thoughts. Right, But it's interesting to ask, like. But but is it still fooling? Right. Ideally, he would not
1: be able to even get that far. Right. But since I guess he can.
0: That, but then it's like, also like, do you want an audience of like people that think like, right. you know, that when you put a piece of chalk between two slates, that it's like a spirit writing? Like that's. Right. You know? I, I don't know what we
1: want. I don't, I don't know what the answer is.
0: Um,
1: I had one more thing I want to talk to you about. Oh, before. what's that? Uh, but yeah, we have some time. Um, unless you have to get out of here. No, no. Okay. Uh, something I thought about was there's one obvious exception to what I'm about to say. Ooh. So just put pen and Taylor in your back pocket for a little okay. while. Put, put them away for five minutes. Okay. I noticed that every... Almost every single magician... I haven't thought about this too far. There's another obvious example. F- forgive me. But I haven't... Uh, think of every... Uh, magician that you would argue is a household name or is broken through <laughs> publicly. Okay. Okay. Name, what What are the ones that come to mind?
0: So, we're not talking about pen and Just over
1: the world, if I were to ask a person that, it, you know, doesn't see magic. Right now. Name, you know, three magicians. What are the magicians they Name Chris Angel. Okay. Right now, Shin Lim. Okay. Uh, Shin mean- hell, Shin Lim supports my theory, so that, I'll take it. Uh, David Blaine. David Blaine, for uh, sure. Darren Brown, if you're in the UK. Yep. That right.
0: might be, and maybe Justin Willman? I'd
1: say Copperfield. Copperfield. We say for Copperfield. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Um but that I might probably be it. I probably wouldn't put Justin Willman up there. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, yet with I, the others, but he is definitely further along than most magicians yes. are to being like the household
0: name. So But p- people that like um Eric's parents could name. Right. It would be exactly. Chris Angel, David Copperfield, and honestly <laughs> for them maybe David Blaine. Right. That's it. Crystal probably. Angel, David Copperfield, but even D- David
1: Blaine, yeah. um, Darren Brown, right? You go further back in history, you probably get Lance Burton. You go further back in history, Blackstone. you get Doug Henning, you get Blackstone, right? It's interesting to me that the general formula of magicians who take the stage, the character they take on, which is a comedic persona, like what I do, what most people do, Yeah. none of the people that are at the very top in household names are like that. They're all go for a serious angle, or they're, right. or or, or they they'll. I mean, every single one of them does jokes, but none of them are com none of them are defined by the fact that they're comedic. Right. When you see David Copperfield, when you see David Blaine or Chris Angel or Shin Lim or Darren Brown, you are not going because you think it will be a funny show. Right. Right? I agree with that. When I perform, people who see me before, like when sometimes when I'm advertised at Magic Bar, I'm advertised as, you know, the hilarious John Ricardo or whatever. Right, that right. is a major part of what myself and most magicians do. And I just kind of realized the other day that, again, Penn and Teller are the big exception because uh, I think they're they are defined by their personas which yeah. is very comedic to i some mean degree. derek
0: delgadio too like if you look at other people that Derek have, delgadio you know helder guimaras starts at the geffen next week
1: yeah oh does it yeah well, let's go see it we should go see it sure and, um, uh, review it yeah um but um, it's just so it's interesting to me that the people who are really household names even you know doug henning wasn't a comedian he was, yeah, his, he was hair, his hair looked funny it, his eccentric but he wasn't a comedian yeah uh it's interesting Blackstone. yeah it's interesting that
0: these people were not max maven not
1: funny. Uh, well i mean and then you think about the other funniest perform who are the funniest performers in the world Matt king isn't a household name right um you know uh zabrecki zabrecki uh no not a, i mean not a household, no, definitely no, no, no. not but like he's he perform he does other things besides yeah. magic uh um you know i'm trying to think uh david williamson Maybe one of the funniest people in the world. I've, I think David Williamson is as funny as any successful comedian. Uh-huh. I think he is one of the great comedians of this day, magic or otherwise. Uh-huh. Um, is not a household name, and just interesting to me that. And I don't know why that is, but the the the, the household names are are not.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's um,
1: like what is it about that I wonder? Is it the comedy that people try to do, regardless I mean, of how good it doesn't
0: is? Doesn't help that holds them back, <laughs> even if it's good. You yeah. know what I mean? Um yeah no no it's also hard because like there are so few examples that it's reflective of how marginalized magic is in general sure. that like if we were like who are the famous musicians over the last however many years you can name like another great fucking sketch from um, I think you should leave which one
1: where they're playing uh, you know celebrity or something pretentious piece. jazz names that no one recognizes yeah.
0: what did you think of the uh, magician uh, moment in I think you should leave have you gotten to that um the first sketch in one of the episodes where he he gets brought up as a volunteer in a magic act.
1: Oh right. What happens? Well uh, the
0: guy like he's like Oh he makes fun of that Cecily
1: strong. That's right. And she's like yeah. why didn't you stand up for yourself? Yeah. You're not a man. Yeah. And she wants to divorce after the kid grows up and leaves the
0: house. Yeah. So then what does he do? He goes back and he, he like, goes back. She's like why didn't you why, why didn't, didn't you stand, stand up? up for you yourself? You make 10 times what he makes. <laughs> right. So he just that? goes back. I and make 10 times Yeah. Um that that magician did do a joke <laughs> That I've heard. With the suit one? Yeah. What's that joke? I actually liked that joke.
1: It was like not your best uh it was like not your best something. Not your best suit. Not, yeah, it's like, neither, neither neither is this be, one, like being like being funny is like, oh, that's not your best suit. And uh, neither is this suit or something yeah.
0: like that. I'd appreciate that Was that a magician you recognized? No, it was not. Huh. Um All right, by the way, to update, uh I put in my official application hey, for an audition. Cool. John is my sponsor. Yes. Um, <laughs> that was the most intricate
1: form I've ever filled out in my life. Oh, so
0: John had to, I had to submit a form. John had to submit a form, um, which I think is basically like, you know, it, it was weird. I looked at your form and it was like, it's a strange form. Basically, I mean, I think. Were you it, able to see what I wrote? Uh, uh no, did I, I, I think the main thing is to be like, this guy's not
1: crazy. Right. You know? Right. So and there were questions like, would you have this person in your home? Yeah. <laughs> And then said, explain. Yeah. I'm like, uh, he's been there before. <laughs> I, I would. I, I Oh, then it was like, explain how you know this person through magic. And I was like, uh. You mean like through like a Sam the Bellhop type <laughs> trick? <laughs> but it was like, explain how your your knowledge of this person involves magic. Was it your idea they should audition? If not, where did they hear it from? I'm like, um, it was his idea. That's strange. Uh, and then it was and, uh, uh, um, questions like, um, what else? It, oh, it asked me. Give to it asked me
0: to explain your background in magic, that was and weird. I'm like,
1: I, he got back into it. What the fuck is and
0: it? and like, uh, have you seen him perform? Kind of thing. Like, have you seen his penis? Yeah. If so, um, explain. Is uh, how how did he use it in the Mentos trick? Right. <laughs> um, Taylor Hughes is my reference. Okay, and he has to fill out that same fucking form. So, what's the difference between a reference and a sponsor? I think your... are like more important you know it's possible that when you said that your sponsor maybe it unlocked extra questions for you that's also possible. yeah
1: i had to click on a thing and i had to explain um, like what
0: so i have not heard i got a list of dates that are like potentially like in may june and july and they'll like assign you one they'll they'll assign me one mm-hmm. so um so my current plan for it is i think i'm going to open with the uh off by one, two, three card thing which i still have to build Mm -hmm. um i have like two or three card things i can do reliably and then i want to end with this compatibility um card thing that i was talking about last time that's great um i think that will be 10 minutes but oh oh, definitely i wanted to tell you this in researching compatibility tests in general because i was like i'm i feel like somebody must have done something like this before Mm -hmm. um so in magic yeah so I'm looking up compatibility tests like on Conjurers uh-huh. archive, archive or whatever. And I found one called the PC card test by Steve Beam. Do okay. you know him?
1: Um by name, unfortunately. So uh that.
0: it's not really close. Um David Regal has a thing called the power of love. Yes, that, so is that not, I do know. That's not similar. It's a triumph, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I wanted to read what this trick was like, and I think this is something fitting to end on, um, I purchased the book Semi Automatic Card Tricks Volume Nine oh, yeah, by, by Steve Beam.
1: No, that that's why I recognize that name, because when Eric asked me in, like, November what to get you for Christmas, magic-related, Oh, I, I was trying to think of some... I thought of some staples that would be good things, and then I suggested the semi-automatic card tracks, because that seemed like it
0: would fit into your yeah. your my, wheelhouse of, like... My not being able to do slides. Yes. <laughs> um, so, I bought this so I could read his compatibility test, and it's not similar. It's fine. Uh, not that I care if it's similar. I just... Right, I'm not I, publishing it. I'm not publishing it, but I do want to. If somebody ends up with something very similar to what I'm doing, I do want to be able to say like, you know, it's similar to that. But I just want to read you something that's in the back of this book. Um, the name of this little essay is called "Female Magicians." Oh no. And uh, I'll sort of skim through it. But I think it's time we drag magic by its top hat and tails into the 21st century. Or, Okay. I'm talking about how we refer to magicians of the female persuasion. You may be surprised to learn we don't actually have a word in English for female magicians. Sure, many of you use the term assistant, but that term refers to the attractive female person you, you use to steer attention away from your unmastered past. Misdirection, if you will. Bloody bloody blah de blah, de blah Um... You know, should we use a French term like magician? We already use terms like equivoque or blah, blah, blah. Um, Can we skip to the end? Oh, yes. So what do you think? uh, So I think it's high time for us to change the public perception to man up and to coin a term that combines female with magician in a logical, easy to remember way. Of course, I would not have introduced the topic had I not already developed what I consider the solution. Can I guess what it is? I propose the term. If he doesn't just say the word magician, then fuck this guy. What is the worst possible end to the sentence? I propose the term blank. I housewife. I don't know. No. So I'll, the full sentence is. Oh, here's a hint. Not only is it only one syllable and two letters shorter. Anyway, I propose the term vagician. Oh, okay. Um, fuck you, Steve Beam. Um, <laughs> Steve Beam,
1: go fuck yourself uh, for putting that in a book. You, you fucking put that asshole. In a book
0: and. Would you like to know what year this book came out? Well, he said 21st century, so. Oh, he did, yes. So, I mean, it's from a long time ago when standards were very different. This book was published in 2015.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Steve Bean, come on this podcast. Fuck you. I mean,
0: that I cannot be more Here's what I'll say. direct about that's just such a shitty thing to write. To any person who wants to defend this by
1: saying oh, you can't take a joke. He was clearly, like, ironically poking at this, which is what you get a lot with these female things. Yeah. With these jokes about female magicians. Um, Fuck you. It's still, like... Okay, so, for instance, um, a person that I uh, post... And I'll say his name, because I think, fuck this guy for that uh, as well, because I I just don't handle... I take this really seriously, as we all should. Uh, Alan Burski posted in the Facebook uh, group, Mm -hmm. you know, very directly. He goes, I'll be, you know... Tomorrow marks the uh uh will be I'll, I'll be creating the men's you know, Magic Castle Men's Association of Magicians a sort of way of being like wouldn't this be shitty if we didn't allow women? Is in? there a Magic Castle? There's a there's yeah. a female society right, right, of magicians right. um that meets at the Magic Castle, um and that infuriated me and yeah. a lot of people are like ha ha he's being a troll don't take the bait And everyone's like oh that that Alan being ironic and then he would even comment like not being ironic dead serious and wait he did. He, he responded. That's how he, he commented. <laughs> First of
0: all, that kills the it's a joke
1: defense. Well, to this day, I still don't know. I mean, it was such a shitty thing to write that I still think it must be a joke because no one would put that publicly, even if that is a joke that is so disgustingly wrong that yeah. fuck him for putting that. Yeah. Um. So fuck you, Alan Bursky, and fuck you, Steve Green. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to talk sh- the, this much shit, but like- Well, I mean, I'm this also, is
0: talking shit not about magic, but about just being a human being.
1: Right. You know what, the same thing, like, I, I, in my head, I've written a script where I get to be on, to do on stage at the, the palace, uh, oh. where I want to talk shit about DiVernon Vernon, uh, oh. for doing Asian face. Oh, yeah. And then I, I want to wait for the day for someone to complain about it. And then I get to explain why talking shit about racism was bad, <laughs> it was Ooh. like, was fine. Can you, like, can you imagine, if I want walked up and said like, oh, magic has a lot of great history, but also a lot of troubling history too. For instance, the number one hero of this place was a bit of a racist asshole because yeah. he did a act an Asian face called Dai Yan and we all pretend he didn't and think it's okay I wait for one person to be like you can't make fun of Vernon in the palace and be like I said racism was bad right (laughs) who's Please kick me out for saying that.
0: I mean, not only did he do that act, but like there's people still alive around the castle that knew him when he was doing that and probably didn't say shit about it. Um, Or fucking, you know, why we have a hallway devoted to Chung Ling Su. Love that Chung Ling Su, huh? I'm going to get all those posters one day. Um, Um, So anyway.
1: But wow. Oh my. I didn't, I just went on a long rant. I'm sorry. I, that really. Well, the thing
0: is, I read that and I was like, well, when did this book come out? Even if it was like 91, I would have been like, well, (laughs) <laughs> I looked it up and it was like two thousand fifteen. But I, I just feel like
1: that is this is such an important issue still and yes. such a serious issue that you cannot write you cannot publish a joke about that. Like if that if, if that ended if that I, I would have been okay with all that if it ended with what the fuck are we arguing about this for? Call the magicians you assholes at I the would... end. But like whatever bit he thought he was doing Let's say he doesn't stand by any of that, and that was all just a bit. The fact that he still published it, yes. without acknowledging it as it a bit, being like, ha don't take this too seriously, I'm, I'm playing around, just call the magicians. If we're just supposed to pretend, like, we're supposed to realize it's a bit because of how ridiculous it is, still, that's not, you know...
0: Yeah, see, the thing is, the um saying about, like, uh, we should have a men's group at the Mag- Magic Castle, I can see someone... Thinking that that is a joke. And even this, you can see him thinking, And I would still
1: argue that, that is still too inflammatory of a thing to
0: post, regardless of not if it's a joke. To me, it's not that it's inflammatory. It's that it's or, not- I don't know the term. It's, the, it's that it's can't think flammable. Term. Yes. Um, no, it's that um, show what you just wrote to a woman that is a magician and see what she thinks. Right. like, And if she is like, that's the kind of bullshit hack joke about gender that I have been dealing with my entire career. And just cause you think you found like a funny angle to it. Right. You're the 1000th person to make fun of my gender. Right. In this way. Um, and it also indicates that this guy doesn't have any women in his like creative process to go like, Hey, that's kind of don't publish that. Right. <laughs> like that's a little on the edge. Um, and another layer to it is, especially with this Facebook example, but this too is you think that the situation is basically resolved enough that you can make jokes like this. You know, like right. it shows honestly, a gross misunderstanding of A 1000 years from now when like there's no gender issues anymore and we're all eating steak cubes from a food replicator, mm-hmm. then maybe you can go back to making these jokes because like it won't connect to any real sense of threat or danger in real people's lives. Right. Um but like until we get to that point Maybe these jokes won't be that funny to people. Um, I even think, like, to me, I'm like, you can publish this if you want, but, like, we're definitely going to say fuck you on a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's like, if someone is that comfortable publicly publishing something like that, then that must be the tip of an iceberg that's extremely misogynistic in the whole field. Like, he feels safe enough to just publish that in a very, um, like innocuous magic book right like it's not like a book about like my thoughts about the industry it's semi-automatic car tricks and in the back of that is this essay so yeah oh fuck um which you know what otherwise great book get it yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know what still there's there's like three effects you would use right uh i highly recommend it yeah yeah (laughs) put a
1: link to uh uh Vanishing you We can buy this book. Yeah, the, the bio. Um ugh, wow, we've
0: been on for um, almost ninety minutes. Almost ninety minutes. We should uh, call it and yeah. pick it up next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh every, I would you by the way, would you recommend the checking out the master class? The um, so
1: far, yeah. I mean yeah. I just like I think it's gonna be two very intelligent people talking about magic in a very intelligent, important way. Yeah. And I think an issue I do worry about is how magic is represented on on big public stages. And I think this will be a very good place and job of
0: doing that. And I'm very excited about it. And I think everyone should go watch it. Cool. And I think you should go home and make your parents watch. I think you should leave.
1: Yes. I, 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 heard about it and so we were flipping through Netflix and uh, that came up and I said hold on I want to watch the trailer for this because I heard about this Uh and the trailer is so weird and wild that my parents were like what the (laughs) the hell is this and they they were turned off by the trailer (laughs) but if I sat them down and made them watch an episode I bet they would like it
0: (laughs) Uh, cool everyone should go binge it and uh, we'll see you next time see ya